Hello and welcome to the Connecting Minds podcast. Christian Yordanov, and thank you so much for joining me today. Today, our guest is Dr. Joel S. Hirschhorn, and the topic of our discussion will be his latest book, Pandemic Blunder, Fauci and Public Health Blocked Early Home COVID Treatment. And I think the title of uh, Dr. Hirschhorn's book gives away the topic of our discussion. It will be another episode talking about lies, corruption, and straight-up criminal behavior from so-called public health authorities that are supposed supposedly there to protect our health. Um, you will be able to find uh, the link to the book in the episode show notes, of course. A little bit about Dr. Joe S. Hirschhorn. As a full professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, he directed a medical research program between the Colleges of Engineering and Medicine at the Congressional Office of Technology Assessment and the National Governors Association. He directed major health-related studies. He has testified at over 50 U.S. Senate and House hearings and authored hundreds of articles in journals and on websites plus op-ed articles in major newspapers he has been an executive volunteer at a major hospital for more than 10 years. And as I already mentioned, his newest book is Pandemic Blunder. Now, jo uh, Dr. Hirschhorn was introduced to me um, via Ricky Verandas. He hosts the Ripple Effect podcast. And I highly encourage you, if you like the topic of this conversation, if you like uh, a lot of the, there's a lot of overlap between my podcast and Ricky's podcast. He's been doing it for a lot longer than me. It has some amazing guests and some amazing content. So if you like this particular topic and you want to learn uh, more unbiased, more kind of uh, uh, BS-free, free from mainstream media brainwashing propaganda, if you want to learn that kind of stuff, he covers a lot of this uh, COVID pandemic stuff in a hell of a lot more detail uh, than myself. Um, so definitely check out the Ripple Effect podcast, Ricky Verandas, super cool guy, super grateful. He's, he's actually introduced me to a, a few other guests, uh, uh, like Dr. Scott Jensen and a couple of others that are coming up in the next couple of weeks, really awesome people. And it won't only be COVID related stuff that we'll talk about. There will be, um, you know, a lot of health related stuff, which is kind of my main biggest interest, but yeah, so the pandemic blunder link will be in the episode show notes. It's a short little book. It's very readable. It's full of data, but it's not um, data heavy, if you know what I mean. So if you are interested in the topic, definitely check that out. Once again, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Please share this with other people that may find the information useful. There's been a lot of censorship a few of my pod, uh, uh, posts with episodes have been taken down from LinkedIn uh, as well as YouTube. And I know that they just don't have a good reach unless we share them. So if you believe in the just cause of at least trying to reverse the horrendous enslavement that is going on, uh, yeah, please, please help me to do that and uh, help to spread our guests' work. So yeah, without further ado, here is Dr. Joe as Hirschhorn. All right, today on the Connecting Minds podcast, I have the honor of hosting Dr. Joe Hirschhorn. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. So, can you tell the listeners uh, what is your background and tell them about what is your new book about, please? 
Well, for over 40 years, I have been dealing with health issues in, uh, in my various positions that I've had over a long career. At the University of Wisconsin-Madison, I was a full professor, and I directed a uh, research program between the School of Medicine and the College of Engineering. And from there, I went on to work for a congressional agency, the Office of Technology Assessment, and then later, uh, the National Governors Association. And in both of those positions, I also dealt with uh, health issues, all sorts of health issues. And uh, for over 10 years, I've been working at a uh, Johns Hopkins Hospital. I'm an executive volunteer, and I have been very active in other medicine and health-related uh, organizations and issues. So, And I can read the medical literature. So what happened was when the pandemic began about a year ago now, I uh, started to follow it very closely. And most importantly, I started to read the medical literature. So on the one hand, I'm, I'm looking at what I'm learning in terms of what's in the medical literature and what doctors are saying. And on the other hand, I'm looking at what the government is doing. And uh, there's a real conflict there. I, it, became, it became very obvious to me in the first months of the pandemic that something was seriously wrong with how the U.S. government was uh, managing and dealing with the pandemic. And uh, so that's, I started to write articles and had a, a fairly large number of articles published about uh, the coronavirus and the pandemic and Fauci and the government. And eventually, I began to realize I had done so much research in preparing those articles that uh, I'd sit down and, and put it all together in a, in a book. Of course, I had to do more research. But in my career, I already had published four or five nonfiction books. So it, it, it was sort of came natural to me to use my research. I'm very research oriented. I'm very data oriented. So Anyone who looks at my book, it's filled with details, but also lots and lots of data, because that's my background in research uh, and education. And so I think I have a good, interesting story to tell. I mean, it's kind of a disturbing story because I document, I think, very well how badly the government has managed the pandemic. And that mismanagement, as I always try to emphasize, has caused the death of over 300,000 Americans unnecessarily because the government didn't do what it should have done to prevent COVID deaths. So that's a big, for me, a bottom line in my book. And, uh, you know, I start out in the first chapter of the book by looking at the history of medicine. And, and you know, mo most people have heard the phrase, sort of the moral imperative for physicians of first do no harm. But what that really includes is first take action. The first, if you look back over hundreds of years, what have doctors always done? As soon as they're dealing with a patient that has an illness or a disease, they want to take immediate action. You don't want to let any illness or disease progress. And that's what, what, what grabbed my attention from the beginning of this pandemic, was that I was watching closely 
what a few doctors in the U.S. and one in France, uh, going back a year ago, March, going back to March of 2020, uh, this data was coming out. And one of the great leaders in the U.S. was Dr. Zelenko in New York, uh, who was a real innovator and pioneer. And he wrote the forward yeah, for my yeah. book, uh, which I appreciate. And I, I still have the absolutely greatest respect for him because he was putting out real data uh, that he had a protocol, uh, again, based on some work in France. But he had expanded the protocol, uh, the, the regimen, so to speak. And he was using it on actually seriously ill COVID patients in the community that uh, he worked in. And some other doctors soon picked up on what Zelenko did. And one of my other favorite doctors is George Fareed in California, another great practicing frontline doctor like Zelenko. These are frontline clini mm -hmm. clinicians, real, real doctors working with patients. And all this data was coming out in the early months of the pandemic that if you acted quickly using one of their protocols, which were not that complicated, uh, you could cure people of COVID. But you had to do it quickly. You had to use the protocol within the first three, four, five days of a patient getting symptoms or getting a positive test. Because what these protocols did, it killed the virus in its earliest phase in the body, what we call the replication phase. You know, once you, if it goes beyond that first phase, then a patient really gets into trouble. And these protocols uh, really don't work very well. But the protocols also work in terms of prophylactic. They, are, they also work as a prevention. And in my book, I have lots of details about these various protocols. And even one simple one that I've been using, yeah, some of these protocols involve medicines that take a prescription. And most American doctors won't give their patients a prescription for hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, uh, both of which have been widely used now, not only in the U.S., but all, all, all over the world. But there's mm -hmm. another protocol, which is very simple, which I've been, I took for many months myself, and that's uh, using supplements and vitamins. And so you can take zinc and a supplement called quercetin and vitamins D and vitamin C. And that, that protocol is a great, again, pre preventive protocol. Uh, so we, the point is, though, we had all of this information. But what did the government do? And this is the big lesson here, the ugly fact, is under the control of Fauci at NIH, the government did not only nothing to promote the early use of these proven cheap, I want to emphasize cheap protocols, because they used generic medicines. There was no big money to be made if millions of people used these protocols. But Fauci and NIH and FDA and CDC not only did not support the use of these protocols, they actually passed block blockages, you know, roadblocks, mm -hmm. so that physicians could not easily use these protocols. I mean, that's just criminal. Is the truth that's of the criminal. matter. 
Now, why did Fauci and, and these government agencies block the early use? Again, you know, first do no harm, act quickly. Instead of pursuing that medical strategy, they pursued a strategy of expensive medicines in hospitals and what we call contagion controls, the masking, the shutdowns, the school closings, all the social distancing. And eventually they also pursued uh, vaccines. So what they didn't pursue was what the history of medicine said they should have pursued and should have helped all of these doctors. Now, most doctors, and, and here's an important lesson, most American doctors are not independent physicians. They work for hospitals or they work for large organizations. And they follow not only the mandates of what the government is saying, but also what the major medical societies are saying. Because the major American uh, medical societies, like the American Medical Association, they just mimic and mirror what the government has said. So the, the game was stacked against most physicians using these proven cheap protocols to save lives, basically. And that's what I want to emphasize. And, uh, you know, what I'm trying to emphasize now, and I just wrote a new article, here's an, an amazing fact. It's in my book, but I, I'm sort of going into it in more detail in a new article. In 2016, 2016 now we're talking about, at the end of the Obama administration, he signed a law which was passed in the U.S. Congress with very strong bipartisan support. And that what that law included was a mandate for FDA, for federal agencies, to use, and the term of art here, it's in the law, it's called real-world evidence. Those three words have legal meaning. And... <laughs> And basically, the bottom line was real world evidence said to the government and Fauci, who didn't listen, that they could use all this data, all this evidence that was coming in from these pioneering doctors. They ignored, if you, you know, Fauci has been ubiquitous, appearing everywhere all the time for the whole history of the, of the pandemic. I don't think you've ever heard him once ever even use the term real world evidence. He's never invoked it and he hasn't obeyed the law. I mean, the law is clear. So Fauci, NIH, FDA, CDC, they all have ignored the 2016 law. And- uh, Now let me ask you this. And there were- Why do you think they did that? I think they did it because from the very beginning, Fauci had a long history of working with big drug companies. I, I think everything that Fauci did had two dimensions to it. One was to go down a path that could make billions and billions of dollars for big drug companies. So he pushed a, an expensive drug called remdesivir for patients in hospitals, which he pushed and got approved, even though it hadn't shown any real benefit, by the way. And then he really started out, of course, pushing vaccines. And he had a long history of pushing vaccines 
that would be made by big drug companies. And the other element, why did he push all these, you know, what we call contagion controls, the lockdowns, the school closings, which took away basically the liberties, the freedoms of ordinary people? I think that was just a power play. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's an authoritarian. Fauci is very interesting and he's a globalist. Uh, he has a long history. He worked with China. He gave them, it was Fauci who gave the funding to the Wuhan laboratory in China to, to do gain of function research. Uh, he had a long history, very close relationship with the World Health Organization. So he, you know, Fauci to me is essentially a criminal. I, I, I say this in my book. I think he is responsible, again, for killing over 300,000 Americans. Uh, those deaths should have been, could have been prevented. And every day, by the way, since Biden became president, more than another 100,000 people have said to have died from COVID. So this problem of you know preventable deaths is still, for me, a big issue. I mean, the, there's only a, a dozen or so doctors in the country who probably are using the Zelenko protocols and similar protocols. Uh, George Fariz, who I know quite well, he, in his practice, has treated, I think, about over 5,000 patients now. So when you look at the numbers in Zelenko, again, he doesn't have a huge practice. So when you look at the handful of doctors still prescribing hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, uh, we haven't, you know, made much of a dent in terms of the U.S. population. So um, the, there's a quote in your book that says, there is just as much a disinformation pandemic than a viral one. So I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Um, but what about, so you talk about they rejected real world evidence. And <clears throat> we really know that when something novel comes like a disease or um, a condition, usually the clinicians at the front lines are ones to come up with novel treatments. And then generally from there, some might work, start working with like researchers and then that kind of feeds into research. That's how we, be, we have evidence-based treatments arise. So what you're saying is that they not only um, rejected those kind of frontline treatments, but they, I, I know a lot of doctors and a lot of YouTube channels were being um, deplatformed. They were just shutting down channels for, for um, you know, recommending vitamin D or quercetin or whatever, right? So um, yes. can you maybe discuss that? Like, I mean, this, this goes beyond, and what you even talk about in the book is it's beyond the blunder. It's, it now becomes more of like a, uh, almost like a criminal act, more like genocide. Can you discuss these issues a little bit? Well, that's true. I mean, and some of these doctors really tried very hard to get, uh, you know, the, the government and sort of the medical establishment to accept their clinical data. Uh, one of these doctors, a, a very famous doctor, actually, Peter McCullough in Texas, who had published hundreds and hundreds of articles. I mean, now we're talking about a guy who's at the top of the medical uh, hierarchy in the United States. He got into this and he was publishing articles and giving talks 
and so was George Fareed, and so was uh, Zelenko in New York. But nothing worked, as you said. Uh, they couldn't break through the mainstream media. I mean, I often say this. To understand how we got into this sort of predicament, we were not saving lives that could be saved. Uh, you got to blame the mainstream leftist media because what happened as soon as Trump went public uh, and, and he, by taking hydroxychloroquine and talking publicly about it. And by the way, a lot of people don't know how did Trump happen to take hydroxychloroquine? It was because Zelenko and a couple of other doctors who I know about got access to the White House and they gave them the data. <laughs> now we're talking very early in the pandemic, right? So Trump's doctors, they get the data. Trump decides, hey, I'll take hydroxychloroquine. The data says it works. And so, but as soon as he went public, the mainstream media that was 99% against Trump went against hydroxychloroquine. And so the whole sort of terrible story unfolded that with the media and with the medical establishment and with the government agencies all sort of colluding together to knock down any information that would reach the public. You know, I said one reason I wrote the book was I wanted to create more public demand for the Zelenko protocols and the work of George Fareed and McCullough and, uh, and some other great doctors. And uh, Dr. Reich at Yale University has also backed everything I'm saying. He's an epidemiologist at Yale. So, but again, we never could break through. And so the public has not gotten all the information that I tried to put into the book to make the case. So the public is uninformed, not just misinformed, but uninformed. So they can't go to their doctors and, and try to demand. I, mean, I went to my doctor and I learned firsthand. My, my <laughs> regular physician wouldn't even consider prescribing hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. I mean, I got a supply by getting it from China early on. But <laughs> uh, so the whole game is stacked against and it's still going on the same exact way. You, all this data, and by the way, the data in my book is not just from the U.S. and Zelenko and those guys. It was from all over the world. We, we had medical evidence, again, uh, really true evidence uh, from all over the world that, that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and uh, these kinds of protocols were working. The evidence was just, was just mind-boggling to me as I studied the literature for months, and it's all in the book also. So it's just, it's just one of these ridiculous, when the history of this pandemic is written, if it's, ever, if it's done honestly, it will reveal what I think my book reveals, and that is a total screw-up, a total mismanagement uh, by the government, and particularly Fauci, because Fauci just has had incredible power. I mean, I, I have worked in the political system in Washington, D.C. for many decades. I, was, I worked for Congress. I worked for other organizations. And I know firsthand that Fauci has had just incredible power. And so when he sort of ran the White House task force under Trump and now was elevated to an even sort of higher position under Biden, 
the game has been lost, basically, unless we can get the truth out. And, you know, how do we get the truth out? Through podcasts and through some conservative and alternative media. But it's not easy. No, it's not, because even um, my la last week I um, published um, a short interview with Dr. Scott Jensen, who is he's a physician. He's running for um, governor of Minnesota and LinkedIn, yes. LinkedIn took down my post within 30 minutes of me posting it. And then within 30 minutes of me appealing it, they said, oh, oh we reviewed your post. It still classifies as misinformation, misinformation. That's how they classify it. Right. And the Ricky Verandas who, who got us in touch, they took down my interview with him of YouTube did based on medical misinformation. So it's difficult. It's, it's difficult. All right. See, I, I never was on social media. I just, maybe because of my age, but I never, never got into social media. Now I did get worried about when I put out my book, especially since I had Fauci mm -hmm. in the subtitle, I got nervous whether I'd have a problem with Amazon, but thank God so far, I have I didn't have a problem with Amazon, but yeah, it, it it's just there's so much censorship now. And nothing has I mean again the data for uh, using the protocols that I'm talking about has only gotten stronger, uh, more because clinicians, well you know like Farid in California and and uh, others has only gotten stronger. I mean they've been using this successfully on more and more patients. But again, those doctors are in a minority. And there's only two organizations that were promoting what we call this early home COVID treatment. And that was sort of two maverick organizations, uh, America's Frontline Doctors and the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. And I'm a member of both of those organizations. But uh, it's hard for those, those two sort of small maverick organizations uh, to get the attention. Uh, although some of the Fox News shows have definitely uh, revealed a lot of this truth. Dr. Scott Atlas, who I think says all the right things, who was sort of on that Trump uh, task force in the White House for a short time, uh, he's also still saying all the right things, basically, uh, especially about vaccines, and I have written about vaccines also. I think pushing vaccines for everyone is, is crazy. Most people don't need the vaccine, and, and the vaccines are still experimental in every, in every scientific sense. These are experimental vaccines. A lot of unknowns about their long-term effects, their side effects, uh, their real effectiveness. So. Uh, you know, if the world was just, instead of taking vaccines as a, as a preventive measure, people could take the Zelenko protocols and things I talk about in the book as a preventive measure. And uh, so it, it just, it's a crazy world we're living in. Uh, and, and the media, uh, mainstream news media and social media, they're also responsible for a lot of unnecessary deaths. And um, can you tell us what, what's the data I, I saw in your book? There was a uh, Danish mask study involving about a thousand people. Uh, 
in the spring and early summer of 2020. Can you tell us about what the outcome of that study was and is there any other data supporting or not supporting the efficacy of masks? Oh, there's lots of studies now. I mean, so many studies have come out. The Danish was one of the earliest ones. But basically what it showed was that masking doesn't work really. And that was sort of said and known at the beginning of the pandemic. You might remember that early on in the pandemic, Fauci said, Fauci said, don't use masks. You know, <laughs> he, he had a very negative view of masks. And actually he was right at the time. But then again, what we watched with masking, again, lots of studies. I, I, I don't even spend my time anymore looking at all the, all the research that's come out, but there's Anyone who wants to do an internet search will find a lot of studies now, not only that masking is not effective, but even more importantly, shutdowns don't work. You know, one of the things that I point out that nobody else says is that the media portrays Fauci as a public health official. He is not a public health expert. He does not have public health credentials. His only credentials was as a physician, mostly as a researcher, not even a clinician. But the point is, uh, the more you get into this, the more you realize that the duty of public health is always to look at the, both the positive and the negative side of any public health action. And that's what Fauci has never done. He never really honestly uh, talked to the media and the public in terms of, well, what's the downside of the shutdowns? And the shutdowns are a great example. You know, maybe there's not a lot of downside if you want to keep wearing a mask. But boy, there were a lot of downsides of the shutdowns of the, of the world of business, small business particularly, and the shutdown of schools. I mean, there we have all kinds of research in terms of a public health perspective that the cost of the shutdowns it's probably causing more deaths than COVID itself. So, yeah, masking is an inconvenience for many, but it's not a, a lot of downside. You know, you're not going to get harmed particularly, probably, from wearing a mask. But, but shutdowns, and now what do you see happening right now? People are talking about a fourth wave of the pandemic, and now I see politicians all over the United States Again, pushing another wave of shutdowns, uh, which is so insane because, again, there's just so much data. If you look at states that didn't have strong mask mandates and didn't do a lot of terrible shutdowns, their data for, for the COVID deaths and hospitalizations are just as good as those states particularly in the Northeast, that had very strong mask mandates and did terrible shutdowns. So if you're data-oriented, if you want to look at the facts, then you would come to, I think, a different conclusion than what people are seeing when they follow the mainstream media. Right. But what about when the data themselves uh, are doctored? For example, we know that there's been a lot of lies and corruption around the reporting of COVID deaths. What about if, what, what, yes. how do we know that all the data, you see, this is, this is what has me paranoid now. 
if they lied about the COVID deaths, death numbers, and they were classifying deaths as, as from COVID when they were, you know, with COVID, yes. whether it's a suicide, a car crash, whatever, how do we, how, what yes. data can we now trust coming from these public authorities, Joe? You can't trust the data. I, that was a great revelation to me in that there was uh, the numbers coming out on COVID deaths clearly overstate the deaths. How much do they overstate them? Maybe it's 10 percent. Maybe it's 20 percent. And by the way, the reason that this happened, one big reason was that the government was paying hospitals, still paying hospitals more money if somebody got classified as a COVID death in the hospital, then some other reason for dying. So there was a finance, always follow the money. And no, I, I think the COVID death numbers are overstated. Even worse are the case numbers. And cases are next to meaningless. And using the PCR test, which is still mostly used, was also another disaster. And that's discussed in my book also, because the PCR test was so easily manipulated uh, to get a positive test result. So the case numbers also, I think, have always overstated the real problem. And you have to remember that for people under 60 or under 50, even a positive test result for COVID is pretty meaningless. They're not going to have a severe case and they're not going to die from it unless they have a serious comorbidity. And what's the most serious comorbidity of all that the media doesn't want to talk about? It's not heart disease. It's obesity. People who've looked at the data very closely have, have, have seen, and I believe the analysis has shown correctly, that the biggest problem, and this is interesting for why the United States has some, uh, some really bad COVID data than other countries, because obesity in the United States is an epidemic itself, okay? Especially among minorities. So when people talk about, you know, minorities, African-Americans, Hispanics, et cetera, et cetera, you know, having been especially hard hit by the pandemic, those are also parts of the population which have major obesity problems. So, yeah, you have to, again, uh, really seriously question a lot of the data. I agree with you. I, I question it, but still, there are a lot, I believe, legitimate COVID deaths, because when people are older, certainly the, most of the deaths in hospitals are for older people, people generally considerably older than 60, older than 65. And they have a lot of comorbidities beyond obesity. So yes, you have to look at the data critically, but still, I think we still have, uh, I think the current number is way over 500,000 COVID deaths in the US. Maybe it's not that number. Maybe it's, you know, 450,000 or 400,000. I don't know. But I do know that what I say in the book, and this is based on real world evidence, is that 70 to 80% of legitimate COVID deaths have been preventable. They, they could have been prevented, 70 to 80%. And that's based on my analysis, again, of real world data, data not only from the U.S., 
with data from around the world. And can you, for the listeners, can you explain what this vaccine, why is it, as you say, so experimental? And what's the mechanism of action there? And what, why, I mean, I, I, I want to say I'm not a anti-vaccines per se. I think they've done a lot for our society in the last century. But it does seem like this this is, like you say, extremely experimental. It like, does look at best a massive money grab if the vaccine is harmless. And at worst, it could, um, you know, destroy a lot of lives, a lot of futures and families. So can you give us a, a little bit of a rundown what's what's up with it? Well, and let me say, I'm 81 and I have some serious comorbidity, very serious heart condition. So I took the vaccine. I had a fairly early opportunity to take it because I work within the Johns Hopkins system. Um, so I took the vaccine because of my age and my comorbidities. But yes, these vaccines, they're, they're uh, playing games with our, our, our genetics. Our, who knows what the long-term effects might be uh, putting in these materials into our, into our bodies. Again, and the question is, who needs the vaccine, basically? I'm amazed the other night that Fauci and others were talking about giving children as young as two years old the vaccine. This is insane. I think it's insane to, to t think about giving that vaccine to relatively healthy people under 60 years of age, let's say. It's just crazy. I mean, we don't know. We know roughly how the vaccines work, at least the first two big ones that have come out, which are very similar. But again, they're doing, we don't know what, what they're doing in our bodies. You know, I, because of my work, I'm involved with a lot of physicians. I'm, I'm a member of certain groups, and I get to see what frontline clinicians are saying about the vaccines. And these are people a lot smarter than me. These, these are a lot of medical researchers and experts. And overwhelmingly, they have serious concerns and reservations about these vaccines. So when you see, and again, and those viewpoints from the medical community, those are, I haven't seen any of that coming out in the mainstream media. The only thing I see in the mainstream media is this constant propaganda that vaccines work, they're necessary, and everybody ought to have them. And they talk about herd immunity, okay? I'm with Scott Atlas on this issue of herd immunity. And others, there's one great uh, doctor from Hopkins, uh, Macri, and they're right. What they're saying is that we probably are reaching herd immunity now, not because of widespread use of the vaccine, but because a lot of young people, especially children, have not what they call natural immunity for various reasons. They have T cells and parts of their blood system. They have natural immunity. And then we probably have in the U.S. well over 50 million Americans who actually contracted the virus, but they were asymptomatic. They never had a serious problem. But the fact that they had the virus, they got immunity also. So when you put natural immunity together with all of the people who were asymptomatic, 
then you begin to see, plus the people now with the vaccine supposedly giving you some immunity, I believe that the, the doctors that I trust are correct in concluding, particularly the Hopkins doctor, that by the end of April, or if not May, perhaps, we will have reached what they call herd immunity. What's that mean? It means the politicians should stop <laughs> using their authorities to create shutdowns and school closings and mask mandates that all of those what we call contagion controls should not be pursued, okay? And if you really have herd immunity, should you keep pursuing mass you know, use of the vaccines? I would say, no, you shouldn't. So the reality you know, that I see uh, dealing with physicians and researchers pretty closely in my own research, I still read the medical literature almost every day, is that I'm seeing two different worlds. The world that is being communicated from the mainstream media is not the world that I know is the true reality. <laughs> and, and how, you know, that's why my only interest in doing the book was to educate and inform more people about the truth, okay? And uh, I've gotten some, some great reviews. And I think people who have an open mind and want to look at the evidence, the real world evidence, the real data, will come out on my side, okay? And so there's a very positive, you know, point is, I've tried not to be so negative about contagion controls, the way some other people are. In a sense, I have a very positive story. <laughs> the positive story is, we know how to cure the COVID disease. We know how to prevent the COVID 19 disease. That's a positive story. But if you believe the positive story, then you would argue against the government using their authorities to really constrain freedoms, liberties of people. You know, can't go to their church, can't go to school. Uh, all the small businesses that have been absolutely ruined in, in the United States is amazing to me. Uh, all unnecessarily. So it's not just unnecessary deaths from COVID. It's unnecessary economic doomsday from COVID. And all these children whose whole development, their learning development, will have been totally ruined by being out of real schooling for a year, let's say, for many of them. This is a terrible story. But again, the positive story is not being communicated uh, by the mainstream media, whether it's print or, or cable or television. It's a very, that part of it is very sad. Yeah, the, the, these lockdowns, um, I don't know, like it be beyond, beyond inhumane what they're doing to, to, to the world for like more than a year at this point. I mean, I'm at, I, at, I'm personally at my patient's end which is why I'm starting to use my platform to to you know um, interview guys like you that are pushing pushing the truth you know but um, what about and you you did, you 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 said it it ruined a lot of businesses but at the same time if we if we look back at October I think it was last year they had the event 201 which was kind of like a a dry run for a pandemic so it it does seem it does like the evidence is 
there to support the case that this pandemic was planned in advance. Fauci said it. Bill Gates said it. Uh, you know, Fauci said in the Trump administration, we have to deal with, with a pandemic. So they were poised to take advantage of you know, crashes of stock markets, equity markets, whatever, as, as they did in the Great Depression, as, as they always do. But um, for the folks maybe out there that they didn't catch this because of the massive propaganda, misinformation campaigns, to what extent do you think this was a planned pandemic? Well, <laughs> of course, I've, been, I've read a lot of those articles and then, you know, I, I try to avoid conspiracy theories <laughs> for which it's very difficult to get evidence for. Was this pandemic planned? In my view, when you look at reality, if it was planned, it came out of China. To me, if there is a guilty party here, and of course, both Gates and Fauci, close relationships with China. But it seems pretty interesting to me that the only economy that has really gained from this pandemic is the Chinese economy. And everything that I have seen and read tells me that, yeah, I, I would blame China. I, I think they made decisions. When they let people uh, take airplanes out of, out of uh, China, when they were restricting air travel within China, they let huge numbers of Chinese fly all over the world. And one of the reasons why Italy uh, has had a, such a terrible, terrible situation with the pandemic was because the Chinese had invested huge amounts of money in uh, Italian industry, okay? So they were flying Chinese people into Italy, particularly Northern Italy. Uh, and so that explained to me what the reality was. So I don't know was it planned? I mean, I think there were actions taken which caused the global pandemic. Uh, certainly, Fauci was was legally actually reprehensible for uh, uh, giving the money to the Wuhan laboratory for what they call gain of function, which was meant, that means research designed to create a more lethal bioweapon, basically, a more lethal, lethal uh, virus. So Fauci did that on purpose. And being, you know, again, I don't trust any of the globalists, Fauci and uh, Bill Gates and those kinds of people. Yeah, I don't trust them for, you know, certainly it was this pandemic uh, put a lot of power into the hands of authoritarian politicians and governments. and. Uh, unnecessarily i would say so they didn't they didn't <laughs> they didn't heed the data again that i push that said we had a cure and a solution for covid interestingly enough <laughs> which we have had for now for a year or more so yes there there's i can see why people would would begin to think in terms of a conspiracy uh i see more evil in the world, more criminal behavior. Uh, you know, I, I think there has been true criminal behavior. You know, you, you see it more clearly in the case of Governor Cuomo in New York State, you know, sending COVID-positive people, old people into nursing homes. 
I mean, that's just pure evil. I mean, that's more than just being stupid. It's evil, okay? Causing, again, unnecessary deaths. So, yeah, I, I see a, a, a lot of uh, what I call criminally negligent homicide uh, because of what people who have the power did. And that includes Fauci, but it's the whole uh, federal system in the U.S. and the whole, in a sense, the whole global public health system failed. The World Health Organization certainly failed, has no credibility in, in my view. Uh, so, you know, all we can do is some of us can keep trying to push the truth uh, and hope that more people will listen. I think more people are listening. I've seen some surveys which show at least two surveys, which showed that 70% of Americans no longer trusted Fauci, which I think is wonderful, <laughs> kind of amazing in a sense, considering that he's in the media every day, endlessly, uh, a ubiquitous presence everywhere in the media. And still, I think a lot of people have learned not to trust him because he has flip-flopped so many times on so many issues. Yeah, but he, he's, he's a, he's a pre-boy. He's a, he's got a handsome face. He's just a great puppet. So I think that's people naturally are more inclined to trust, uh, you know, attractive people. So that's why he's there. Well, he, he has this, not just attractive, but he has this grand, a grandfather kind of image. I mean, he's 80-ish. He's my age. Is he's he? 80 years old or so. Yes. So he, he looks like a grandfather. He looks like somebody you should trust. And I have to say, I give credit to him. He knows how to talk to the media and talk to the public. Okay, so he sounds sounds like he knows what he's talking about. He sounds credible to most people, but it is propaganda. He's a master at pushing propaganda, and that's the way you have to learn to see this. You know, and people are dying every day. Something still, I think, over a thousand people are dying legitimately from COVID unnecessarily. So propaganda is killing people. This, this is not a nice story at all. And again, Fauci still gets away with it. He still has a high position in the Biden administration. Yeah. And okay, so let's, let's um, kind of away from the negative Nancy stuff. What, what should folks um, know about the supplement protocol to prevent uh, and potentially even, you know, reduce, mitigate COVID? Yes. And the last chapter in my book was written to help people, uh, you know, take a positive approach to protecting their own lives. And that's why it's not difficult. Uh, you know, I, I give websites. You can go to these websites and you can get in contact with a physician because in most states you probably won't find a physician to prescribe hydroxy or ivermectin. But th there are several websites that uh, for a relatively small amount of money, you can get in touch with a doctor and they will be able to prescribe if you want those kinds of generic medicines. But I also say for most people, less than 60, taking the, the sort of uh, supplement approach, the zinc, zinc is so critical. And zinc and quercetin, by the way, what quercetin is, and, and uh, Dr. Zelenko has uh, really said this wisely in some of his publications, 
uh, quercetin is a substitute for hydroxychloroquine. So you take quercetin with zinc. It's, it's like taking zinc and hydroxychloroquine. And then you add a pretty good dose of vitamin D and vitamin C. And that protocol, for most people, you take, I take it twice a day still, even though I, have the, I got the vaccine, I still take my protocol. It's in the book uh, with the, the dosages and everything is there in the book. So there's a positive way of people taking control of their lives. And they ought to, instead of reading all the garbage and propaganda coming from the mainstream media, I give all these websites in the book that people can use and, and get their information from uh, the two organizations I mentioned, America's Frontline Doctors, Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, uh, a lot of really great information. And, and lots of other websites are given in my book. So people, if they want to just work a little bit harder, shut off the mainstream news, stop reading the New York Times or the Washington Post, stop listening to all the you know, CBS, NBC, ABC, all those shows, MSNBC, CNN, they're all terrible. That's all propaganda. So, you know, I mean, th there is good information out there. And uh, a lot of great websites uh, and podcasts now. Uh, I'm trying to use the podcast approach to help spread the word. Uh, again, selling the book is not about making money for me at all. <laughs> Nothing to do with that. It's all about getting more good information out to people. That's all. So I, I just urge people to think about getting pandemic blunder. <laughs> Wherever you buy books, it's on Amazon, but you can buy it anywhere where, where you buy books. It's a, I, the book is designed, since I had a lot of experience writing books, it's designed to be an easy read, okay? It's not a huge book. It's a modest-sized book, and it's designed for ordinary people even though it has lots of data in it, lots of facts, it's just designed to be, I've had a lot of people tell me, yeah, they've read it in one evening, one night. That's great, okay? We just have to get better information out to people. And uh, the last chapter in my book, that's, that's the purpose of it, is to help people access better yeah, information. Yeah, we need to access better information, but we also need to teach each other to spread the better information as well because it's so easy it's Absolutely. so yeah it's so easy to get open your phone and be exposed to brainwashing and propaganda for, through social media mainstream media websites but it's so difficult to propagate even this podcast i know i i honestly don't know whether or not i will publish this on youtube and if i do how long it will stay on YouTube, you know? So at least we have the podcasting platforms for now. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I've, I've done a few, as you know. And uh, I can tell they have an effect, by the way, because I can see on Amazon, I, I watch the numbers. There's one number I can watch. And I can see that by doing the podcast, certainly a lot more people have bought the book. So I'm succeeding in that sense. And people who get the book will be the best informed right now okay they're not going to read they can't read the scientific literature the way i do you know so they they need a book like mine uh accessible for ordinary people and then and then we just turn more and more of the population make it make more and more people better informed that's my start of curiosity what exactly is the mechanism now you said quercetin 
mimics the action of hydroxychloroquine, yes. but what is that mechanism that quercetin has? Okay, I'll tell you what it does. Hydroxychloroquine and quercetin, uh, and, and uh, Dr. Zelenko has written about this very nicely, they work exactly the same way, and that is they both get zinc into your cells, and that's the whole trick in, in counteracting the replication of the virus. You've got to get zinc into the cells. And what they discovered early on, that's what hydroxychloroquine did. And then it was actually Zelenko who discovered, one of the few, that quercetin would work the same way. And you can buy quercetin wherever you buy vitamins and supplements. Turned out I've been taking quercetin for years for other reasons. But so quercetin and hydroxychloroquine. Now, ivermectin is entirely different. It has different me uh, mechanisms, but getting zinc, zinc is a critical supplement. You got to get the zinc into the cells. And again, these protocols work by, by stopping the, that first phase. There's actually three phases of how COVID-19 uh, devastates a body. And that first phase is called re replication. It's where the virus cells replicate. If you can stop it in that first phase, then it doesn't go on to the second phase, which is basically getting into your lungs, and the third phase where it starts to destroy your organs. So when you read about how people die from COVID, it's because they've had terrible lung problems, and then their heart, liver, whatever, vital organs also get attacked because they didn't stop that first phase. So the genius of that first, that French doctor, and then uh, Zelenko and Farid and others, was that their protocols would kill the COVID-19 virus in that first phase. But you got to get it into people's bodies within three or four or five days. And doctors around the world were doing the same thing, okay? Except in other countries, they were giving out. And by the way, in other countries, you could buy over the counter hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. They're not even prescription medicines in many, many countries. And in other countries, particularly in, in South America, they were giving out packages to people with the hydroxy, with the ivermectin, okay, with, with the supplements. So what a completely different governmental approach in some of these countries, which is why when you look at the data, you see much better, much better data in terms of the uh, bad effects of COVID-19 in some of these other countries. And the websites where you can access all that data, it's all in my book, uh, wonderful websites. People can go to them and you can actually see the data from all over the world. Uh, very, very interesting. Yeah, we'll have uh, links to, to the book, um, Amazon links. Um, Joe, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. You're doing amazing work. Before we go, is there any other things you want to leave the listeners with? Anything you want to say? Well, just <laughs> you can get a positive view on all of this, especially protecting your own health. If, if you manage to get rid of the propaganda from your daily existence and, and get to what we call real world evidence and the real data that, and the solutions. My message is, is that we know how to cure COVID-19 and we know how to prevent 
COVID-19. The same protocols that work in curing also work in terms of what they call a prophylactic approach. It prevents. So people get control of your lives. Stop fear. You know, how does the government control the population? It's by promoting fear. And that's what the mainstream media does. It promotes fear. Don't let fear about this pandemic control your life. And always realize that's what the propaganda is all about. It's meant to sustain fear. It is not designed to sustain healthy living. <laughs> it's all about fear. And then, you know, that's my message. We, we have to stop letting fear dictate and let them, and should, fear is letting the politicians, terrible politicians, get away with the worst kinds yeah, of Yeah, I, I, I know someone who is in their 20s, or, or speak, speaking to them, uh, it was last month sometime, and he said, I, I'm, I'm getting a lot of anxiety, I've had a lot of anxiety about this corona thing, and the guy's, the guy's 28 years old, and what you said earlier, you know, people under 70 generally in most cases, it, the, the, we know the the survival rate is like ninety nine point nine eight percent. So, it, like you literally have a bigger chance of like a brick falling on you when you walk outside. I don't know, but uh, yeah. So That's it's it. it's again what you say is brilliant. We, we we'll create a clip for of that to share on social media because it's such a salient message. Is uh, I don't know who who said it was it John F Kennedy. I don't remember, but the only thing we have to fear is fear itself in the end, because if we can prevent the propaganda, the brainwashing from like terrifying us into inaction and into doing acquiescing to whatever uh, draconian measures they implement, then we actually have some semblance of power left within us. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely right. All right, Joe. Uh, once again, thank you so much for coming on the Connecting Minds podcast. Well, thank you for yeah, the opportunity. Best of luck with the book. I will definitely do my do my part as much as I can to to spread knowledge of it and and your work. Thank you. So thank much. you so much.